I really believe that when you're about to make big, big moves, you got to be careful with who you, you share that news with, because a lot of people will project their own fears and their own anxieties on to you. Hey everyone, welcome to Flourish in the Forn, the podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. This podcast centers Black women and explores living abroad as a pathway to wellness. And of course, wellness here can refer to anything, financial, professional, emotional, spiritual, mental, or physical wellness. The women of this podcast subtly or explicitly share how living abroad really has influenced how they see themselves, how they see the world, and how they define a life well-lived. Welcome to the show, and of course, welcome back if you've been riding with us for a minute. Hey, I am Christine Job, the host of this podcast. And I'm a Black American woman living and thriving in Spain. I am not only the host of Flourish in the Foreign, but also the creator, the producer, the editor, the everythinger of this here podcast. And although I always say this podcast is a labor of love, but, you know, labor nonetheless, It is true. This podcast is a one-woman show, and I do not want it to always be a one-woman show. I have so many great ideas and projects to help you, the audience that I know that you've been asking for, just ways to help you get, stay, and thrive abroad. But I need the time and the uh, space to be able to produce these really exciting things I have on deck for 2021. And so that is why I'm asking you all to help support Flourish in the Foreign not being a one-woman show. Yes, let's support it not being a one-woman show. I would love to get an editor, someone to edit the podcast As you guys may know, I record with each guest for about 90 minutes and then I edit it down to a one hour show. That may sound easy. And if it is for you, good for you. It is not necessarily easy for me. It takes a lot more time to put out a one hour episode. To be honest, the editing for just one episode can sometimes take five to eight hours each episode and that's just the editing that has nothing to do with pre-production or post-production marketing or anything like that so it is quite time intensive so please support flourish in the foreign not being a one-woman show and i'm going to tell you a couple ways you can do that the first way is become a patreon supporter of flourish in the foreign 
you can go to www.patreon.com slash flourish foreign and you can become a patreon supporter at any dollar amount now i am in the process of reworking the patreon tiers and the benefits so this is a perfect time if you've been thinking about how you want to support flourish no foreign and maybe the benefits i have currently are just like not appealing to you that's fine. I'm not offended. Let me know what would make it worth your while to commit to monthly supporting Flourish No Foreign. Let me know because then I will do that. <laughs> okay? I can make it happen, but I got to know what is it that you want. So please let me know. You can send me an email or you can DM me across social media. So, you know, help me to help y'all to help Flourish No Foreign. Okay? So there's that become a patreon supporter today the next way you can support flourish in the foreign is by cash apping the podcast cash app is kind of like a tip jar if you have found the podcast to be just helpful transformative educational inspiring go ahead and tip the podcast yeah you can slip the podcast a couple bucks via cash app at dollar sign flourish foreign it's a great way if you're just not ready to make a ongoing monthly commitment to the podcast no worry if you listen to an episode and you like it you can slip the podcast a couple bucks each episode that you like that's that's perfectly fine so go ahead and cash up the podcast at dollar sign flourish foreign today Another way to support Flourish in the Foreign, and a fairly new way to support Flourish in the Foreign, is by Amazon. I've created an Amazon wish list for the podcast. Not only is this podcast a one-woman show, but it is a lean, mean podcasting machine. It really is. I run a pretty lean ship when I launched this podcast, I just wanted to launch it. I wanted to get these voices out, and it's truly a labor of love. It's a passion, but now that the podcast is doing quite well, has a sizable audience, and people are really listening, it's about that time to upgrade the equipment. I record my voiceover, what I'm recording right now, on my iPhone. I know, iPhones are incredibly powerful and amazing, but, you know, they're not really a podcasting mic. So on the Amazon wish list, you will see a couple of production equipment wishes that I have. So you can support Flourish and Foreign that way. You can purchase an item ranging from a mic, mic stand, to a proper tripod and ring light for the IG Lives that I do. If you have been tuning into the IG Lives, you guys know that... They're amazing, but you know, my tripod that I have my phone on just ain't, it ain't, it's always catching me at weird angles or falling down. So to make the IG lives even better and for the production of the YouTube videos that I have coming just to be a little bit better quality for all of you, that is on the list as well. So check it out. If you are saying, you know what, I want to contribute to the production of this incredible podcast that elevates and affirms the stories and voices of Black women living abroad, you can check out our Amazon wish list, in which you can find on the support page of the website and also across all social media channels. And you will find a button and a link to the Amazon wish list 
there. The next way you can support Flourish in the Foreign is if you have a business or an organization that's in alignment with the ethos of this podcast, you can place an ad in this podcast or you can sponsor an entire episode of the podcast. If you really want to get in front of an amazing audience of women and people who are ambitious, highly educated, internationally minded, but are truly and sincerely interested in cultivating a life well-lived for themselves on their own terms, wherever in the world, this is the podcast. Go to www.flourishintheforeign.com slash contact, shoot me a line, and I will send you over the rate sheet for this podcast. And of course, sharing your love of Flourish in the Foreign is essential for the podcast. Personal recommendations are just so much stronger than any kind of marketing I could do. So if you would, while you're listening to the podcast, please screenshot it and write a little note about what you like about the podcast, that episode, or Flourish in the Foreign in general, and share it across all of your social media platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anything. And let people know that they should be listening to this podcast. It is so, so important. And while you're at it, make sure you are following the podcast across all social media channels at Flourish Foreign and and specifically with Instagram, because that is the platform I'm most active on. Make sure you're not only following us, but make sure that you're liking the posts, that you're sharing the posts, that you're saving the posts that are really interesting to you, because that helps with engagement and that helps us show up not only on your feed more often, but it also helps us show up on explore pages. So please help Flourish the Foreign get more visible. The last way you can support Flourish in the Foreign is, of course, making sure you are subscribed to the podcast, that you've given the podcast a five-star rating, and that you have left a review. Yes, a review. I love these reviews. I say it every week, and I'm going to keep on saying it because I love them. They are so amazing, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to write your thoughts and your feelings about the podcast. It means a lot to me personally, but it also helps to convince people who are just stumbling upon the podcast that they should really check it out. So this week, I'm going to read a review from Abundance, and Abundance says, A realistic and humorous look at life abroad. Off to a great start. Anyone planning to live abroad should listen and take notes. Anyone who has lived abroad can absolutely relate. Thank you so much, Abundance. I appreciate you taking the time to write that review for Flourish and Foreign. It means a lot. All right, y'all. I have just given you guys six, six ways to support flourish in the foreign, and I hope that you have chosen at least one way to support this podcast today. Okay, on to the next episode. This week's guest is Francis, and Francis is one half of the incredibly popular Chronicles Abroad podcast, and also a third of the Therapists or People Too podcast. 
In this episode, Frances shares how life events really pushed her to step out and go abroad. As a single mother and as an empty nester, using the experience to go abroad to heal and to really find herself and decide what she really wanted in this world. She is also a therapist and she shares so many great insights about how to manage the range of complex emotions expats go through when they decide to go abroad. But I'm going to let her tell you all about it. My name is Frances Lees. I am 39 and I'm currently in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I was actually born in Haiti, uh, but I grew up in a small town outside of Boston called Waltham. And I moved actually abroad in 2016 from the D.C. area. Besides just coming from Haiti to the States and immigrating here, I always had like this pipe dream that I wanted to travel. It almost seemed like something that was not possible because I didn't know anyone else that was doing it. And it took a backseat for a very, very long time. Uh, so there was nothing in my childhood that prepped me or influenced me besides the, the fantasy idea of wanting to travel to so many countries. I asked Frances to tell me about her university experience, where she attended, and what did she study? I also wanted to know if she had the opportunity to study abroad. I did have an interest in studying abroad, but again, I didn't know there was no representation. So I didn't even know how to even begin that process. I went to, I grew up in a very, you know, white town. I went to a very, I went to a very white college, private university here in Massachusetts, but I was a commuter. So I didn't really have much of a community in university. And like everyone else, you know, I was just doing what I was supposed to do. I'm also a teen mom. So it was more about just like, you know, trying to graduate, take care of my son and, work, you know, the whole linear path to whatever you think success is supposed to be. So I went to college, went to grad school, but again, found myself wanting to do something different. I just wasn't sure what it was at the time. I asked Frances to tell me about her journey abroad. How did she get abroad and what was going on in her life that really pushed her to make the leap? 2016 was a very big year for me. It was a very traumatic year. So my son was going off to college. I was becoming an empty nester. And, you know, my friends didn't, really, a lot of them didn't have kids, or if they did, they were, their kids were a lot younger. So I was pretty much the only person, I was 35 at the time, and I found myself being an empty nester. And I, I started looking into my life, like, okay, what was next? And at that time, I had burnt out of my career about three years prior and I was in real estate. And a few months into the year of 2016, my father passed away unexpectedly. And at that time I was thinking, I really didn't want my dreams to die with me the way my father's dreams died with him. And I was dating somebody at the time who was like, you know, you've always wanted to travel. Why not take this opportunity to do so? But I was terrified. Again, I did not know anyone who was traveling. I had some friends who go to Trinidad and Tobago for carnival. I traveled in the States, whether it was like Miami, New York, those kinds of things, right? But I never, I didn't know anybody who was doing extensive traveling. And so I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to do this, completely terrified, but I want to do it with a purpose. I didn't want to just travel aimlessly, sit on the beach with my ties, which is nothing wrong with that, but I, I wanted it to be impactful. 
so I decided to apply to this TEFL program. I thought, okay, why don't I teach abroad? And I went through the whole process. And this was before my father passed away. And then I kind of got cold feet. And I was I had the option of going to Asia or Mexico. And at the time, I was like, oh, Asia is so far. Like, what is that? And then my father passed away. And that's when I finally pulled the trigger to actually go through the process. And at one point, I decided, I was like, let me go to Mexico. It's right there. It's so not too far away. And then my friend was like, why would you go to Mexico? It's right there. If you're really going to do this, and if you really want it to be as impactful as you claim it to be, go to Asia, go to Thailand. And I was like, oh, snap. And I bought a one-way ticket, started to begin the process of selling and downsizing and making the, the dream become a reality. Family support and family reaction to your decision to move abroad can be varied, to say the least. And so I asked Frances to tell me what her family thought when she decided to move abroad. Let me tell you, okay, I've, I've come from a Haitian family. And for those who know anything about Caribbean families, you don't tell them stuff like this, okay? They get nervous. And I remember listening to a guest on your podcast saying that she was from Nigeria. And, you know, people who immigrate to the States have no understanding why you would want to leave the best place on earth, supposedly. My family made a lot of sacrifices for us to come to this country. And so I didn't tell anybody. I, I was total stealth mode when I made the decision. It wasn't until I was at the San Francisco airport <laughs> that I called my family. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Thailand. I didn't even know what Thailand was. They didn't know. They just knew I was leaving the country. And I really believe that when you're about to make big, big moves, you got to be careful with who you, you share that news with because a lot of people will project their own fears and their own anxieties on to you. And I was already anxious and I was already nervous. So I didn't need any more nervousness or fear into the decision I had already made. So I did, I, it was kind of like a twofold. I waited, my son already knew, and he, he's so used to my shenanigans because we moved around a lot. So he was like, okay, that's weird and different, but sure. If that's what you want to do. And, you know, he was totally supportive of it. I asked Francis to describe how she felt flying to Thailand and of course, landing there knowing that this was her new home. I hate flying. So flying over such large bodies of water freaked me out. I remember it was like oh, close to like a 30-hour flight. We first stopped by and I believe it was Taiwan and then transitioned to, to Bangkok. And I was just like, holy smokes, like I'm here in this foreign land. And I was just super excited about it. I didn't know what to expect. Part of the reason why I did this TEFL program was because I had the opportunity to receive the TEFL program in Thailand. So it gave me an opportunity to transition into the culture, learn a little bit about the culture. We had some language lessons. So I didn't feel like I was totally thrown into um, the culture and didn't know what to expect. So I was fortunate in that I was able to allow myself to transition, but I, I, it just felt kind of surreal. Like I felt so far away, but I felt so liberated and so excited. I wanted to know what the first year in Thailand was like for Francis. Yeah, the first year. So I took a teaching contract and it was only for half a semester. So I landed in Thailand mid-September. 
And I was supposed to start teaching around November. And then my teaching contract ended in April. So it was, at the time I came with an ex, which was a big mistake. So that had a whole other bunch of issues. And we fought constantly. And eventually we parted ways like around February. But the first year was, it was difficult. Learning the, the culture was difficult. Thailand has never been colonized before. So just learning the way that they did things. And sometimes for me, it was very frustrating. It felt very backwards. It was half the time I didn't understand how in which they did things. So there was a huge culture shock for me. There was lots of frustrations with the language barrier. It was, it was for me, those few months were me having to put my American pride aside to really have an experience that could be magical. Because as Americans, we have this boisterousness about ourselves. We're very loud. We want things the way we want it. And I had to put my pride aside in order for me to enjoy this experience. And I remember being in a TEFL program and I felt really old. I was around these young white students who just graduated college, you know, doing their gap year or their parents, you know, paid for this experience. Or some of them were really kind of like in between and not sure what to do with their lives. Uh, so that felt a little awkward for me, like the old old lady in the group, but it, it turned out really nice. I, I mean, I connected with some of them and we had a great time. I got the opportunity to travel a lot because in Thailand, they really enjoy their leisure. So I had lots of time off. So I was able to visit nearby countries like Vietnam, Bali, and a bunch of other cities, even within Thailand. But the first semester and the first time there, it was... It was difficult because it was super lonely. I think a lot of people don't realize how lonely traveling can be. And so I spent a lot of time, especially when I, I parted ways with my ex. To me, this whole experience, it was such an, a spiritual experience for me. And it's and I, that was this was the opportunity for me to really get to know myself in a way that I've never was able to before. Because, you know, when you're living in the States, you're pretty much on autopilot, right? Everything is just... You don't even have to think about half the things that you do. Even just getting in your car to go to the grocery store, there is no hiccup. You just kind of go without thinking. But when you're living abroad, you can't be on autopilot because, number one, you don't know the city. You don't know the language. So every day, you're always on alert. And not necessarily in a bad way, but in a way that allows you to be more intentional in how you move. So I really appreciated that break in autopilot. But it was very lonely for me. When I moved abroad, I didn't, there was no black expat community that I could go to. I didn't even know how to access them. I wasn't part of any Facebook groups. So making those types of connections didn't happen for me the first time around. But I remember being in Chiang Mai, Thailand, just visiting and, you know, just having like a breakdown because what happens is like, no matter where you go, there you are. Right. And so all the grief and all the things that I was experiencing from just the transitions in my life, losing my father, all of it came to the surface. And so it gave me an opportunity to just really sit with my feelings and not have any distractions. Uh, I developed a meditation practice while being abroad. I ended up meeting like four shamans in Bali, did some spiritual energy work there. And then after that first year, I just felt like a completely different person. I couldn't even recognize myself. And that was really the goal. Not maybe intentionally in the beginning, but it, that became the goal. It was like, because I, I talk very openly about my depression and anxiety, and it was something that I was able to heal while living abroad in ways that I probably would not have been if I stayed in America. So after 
Francis's first year in Thailand, I asked her how she felt and when she decided to go next. I was in Thailand from September to April, and then I traveled a little bit after my contract was over. Then I came home in around like May, and I realized I was like, okay, I'm I'm ready to go back because I came home and I was like, ooh, yeah, this is not where I want to be. I still want to continue traveling. And so I was like, okay, where can I go next? I wanted to go to a place that was completely opposite of Thailand, maybe a place that had a little bit of their their stuff together, so to speak. No offense to Thailand or anything, but like I just wanted something that was a little bit more industrious. Some things are a little bit more, you know, easily accessible. So I decided to go to Japan. And so I got another teaching contract and I decided I moved to Japan in July and I was in Japan for nine months. And I realized Japan wasn't for me. Beautiful country, but it just wasn't at all for me. I was in Nagoya, Japan, which is the second largest city aside from Tokyo. It's about two hours from Tokyo, right in the center of Japan. Japan was for me, and I knew this going in, that it's a it's a workaholic country. All right. You know, they they pretty much it's kind of like martyrdom environment. And I knew that coming in, didn't think it'd be too much of a big deal. The job that I had was actually super easy. I didn't have a lot of clients to teach. And I probably could have coasted by and lived there. I was making really good money. Um, I was able to save like $1,000 a month. I was like, this is great. The employer was paying for the majority of my housing. But Japan was a country that they suppress a lot of their emotions. And what you would find is that I felt like I was back in the States, you know, just running and gunning and gunning. Even though my job wasn't like that, but the, the energy of Japan was like that. You know, people were just so unhappy. My students were, weren't always happy about just their life choices and their situations. And then I remember, you know, just walking through this very popular area in Nagoya where all the clubs are and all the bars. And there was, they call them the salarymen. I remember and he like fell to the ground. He pretty much busted the, his forehead. He was so intoxicated. And that's what they do. Like they, they go from working all day drinking all night because it's part of the culture. Like your boss expects you to drink with you all day long and they, they drink very heavily and then they wake up and they do it all over again. I remember having a student and he was sitting in front of me, great guy, and he had like this cut on his hand and I was like, what happened? And he just kind of laughed. He's like, oh, I don't remember because he was so intoxicated and he was in his 60s. And so it just didn't sit well with me. Beautiful country, like people were just so polite, amazing landscape, the food's amazing, but that there was a spiritual disconnect for me in Japan. And plus it got, it got cold. I, I was like, yeah, why am I here? Like I left Boston because it was too cold. I took my ass back to Thailand about nine months later and moved back around November. After a very different experience in Japan, I asked Frances, where did she decide to go next? So when I was first in Thailand, I lived in one of the islands called Kopanan. I lived in a rural town about 45 minutes outside of Bangkok called Bang Na. When I came back, so this was all like south of Thailand, which was great. I mean, it was great living on an island, right? (laughs) But this time around, I moved to Chiang Mai, which is north. Um, This is all mountains. Beautiful Chiang Mai. The people there were just amazing. That's where there was a strong black expat community there. So I got connected to other black folks living there. I, I did a whole year teaching contract in Chiang Mai and I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. 
me and my co-hosts of Chronicles Abroad, we lived together. And we lived in a two-bedroom, two-full-bath house, gated community, pool, security. And my rent was 250 bucks a month. So you couldn't beat that. And I loved living out there. I really did. For the whole year I was there. After having an amazing second run in Thailand, Francis decided to return to the United States. After Chiang Mai, I came back home. My son was going through some things, so I came back to settle some things at home. And that was March of last year. I came back. <laughs> and I was supposed to not, you know, what happens, like, I was supposed to be a short amount of time. And I had plans to actually move back overseas because I turned 40 in October. And so the whole idea was to go back and then COVID happened. And so I'm kind of been lingering here a little bit, but really enjoying my time with my family and friends and reconnecting. I asked Frances to describe her experience as a Black woman traveling the world. It's been interesting. And I've been to places like Taiwan. I was in India, Indonesia, stayed there for a few weeks. And each place was different. So Thailand, they, you know, Asia's always surprised to see a Black person. They just are. And especially I have uh, dreadlocks. So seeing me with my locks was always a point of conversation. I remember in India, a woman went out of her way. I was in this bus station. to. She went out of her way just to touch my hair without asking. So you get a lot of people who want to just touch you, who want to take pictures with you, who, who want you to hold their baby. So there's also this celebrity aspect of being Black in a and abroad, but there's also uh, this idea of how deep white supremacy runs. In Japan, I saw my first blackface uh, carton cutout of this comedian, a very famous comedian in Japan, just sitting there, you know? So there were highs and lows. So there are some places where people will make comments like, I remember this woman trying to put sunscreen on me saying, so I don't get too black. I remember people being surprised that I have an American accent and I'm black. Like, how can I be both? But overall, my experiences were very positive. If anything, it was a point to educate and to connect because of the fact that they don't have that much experience with black folks. And so I used it as an opportunity to teach, to uh, bridge instead of alienate. India was the toughest. India itself is a whole different world. I can't even explain what India was like because India has just so many layers, just being a woman in India, <laughs> being a black woman. Those things were very, very challenging. But overall, I felt the safest I've ever been being black overseas. I felt more safe being black overseas than I have ever felt being black in America and being black in Boston specifically. I asked Frances to describe some of the cultural differences she experienced while living abroad and how she managed those differences. When I first moved abroad, the King of Thailand passed away. So that really changed everything. I had to like wear black. There's some in some places, like there was no partying allowed, no drinking, that sort of thing. And then there was another time where I was in Indonesia and they had the day of silence. And so what that is, it's called Aipi, I believe. And this is where they everybody just goes silent and then they celebrate at night, thanking the gods and 
it's all about casting away evil spirits and they have big parades at night. It's, it's such a big deal. But I remember trying to like leave and the, the guy at the homestead I was at, he was like, no, you can't go anywhere. And I was like, but he's like, no. <laughs> so you, as an American, I'm like, I can go anywhere I want, but you're not in America. So you have to follow those cultural norms, whatever's happening in that country. I say, I do whatever the locals are doing. If the locals are not doing it, I'm not going to do it. If locals are doing it, then I'll do it. So just things like that. And also working at a school, I worked at a private high school in Thailand. They just do things a little bit differently and you just, you just have to just go with it. And often there's no explanation and no reason. Well, there is, and you just like, you don't get it. And so you just have to follow those cultural norms and be respectful as much as possible. I always want to know about healthcare around the world. It is super interesting to me what other countries are doing. So I asked Frances to tell me about her experience with healthcare abroad. So in Thailand, working for the school, you get like a basic insurance, which thankfully I didn't have to really use. But healthcare is just totally different. Even in, in Japan, I had universal healthcare. I didn't have to use it. In Thailand, it was a lot cheaper to just pay things out of pocket. I had easy access to, and this could be pro and a con, but like if I needed some kind of medication, I didn't have to jump through hoops to get it. In Thailand, they have this thing where I think they do it maybe twice or once a year, but you can get a total comprehensive checkup with blood work, everything. And I think it was like, I don't know, like $150 or something like that. And so... And I remember going to the to get this checkup and they gave me, they knew I was going to spend all day there. They gave me a lunch box so I could have a little lunch to eat. The person escorted me to all of my appointments in the hospital. <laughs> Where do they do that at? And I remember talking to a friend of mine, uh, this, this, this girl I had interviewed, and she is quarantined in Nigeria right now. And she said when she had got to Nigeria, she had to do a two-week uh, quarantine. They checked in on her. They put her up in a hotel. They made sure she was okay. And then she didn't have to come out of pocket for any of that. So I tell you, like, the healthcare system in America, we already know it's absolutely broken. This quarantine has revealed a lot of inefficiencies in our systems. I got better healthcare overseas than I did in America, and it was way, way more affordable. And so sometimes I always encourage people, if there's things that you need to do, Work it around your vacation and go to a place like Thailand or go to a place like Japan or Taiwan and see what those prices are because you could save yourself thousands and thousands of dollars if you end up getting services overseas. I always have to ask this question. Yes, about dating. Yes, yes, yes. And so I asked Frances, what has been her experience dating abroad? I, I identify as a queer woman. So, I mean, finding another queer community is very difficult abroad. There are some pockets, like Thailand is very queer friendly. So you, you'll find um, a lot of people, you know, along the rainbow spectrum there. And it's one of those things that maybe people don't talk about, but people quote unquote tolerate it. And I don't like using that word, but you can be gay in Thailand, essentially. Right. But that was something I had to think about because I was getting older and being somebody who travels often, it doesn't lend itself to having stable relationships. 
And I remember meeting somebody before I went to Japan, but then not being able to continue because, I mean, she had no plans of moving abroad or anything like that. So you really have to find somebody who has the same kind of passion for travel as you. You need to find somebody who is okay with like uplifting their lives and and becoming a little bit nomadic with you. So I came back to the States, not only just for my son, but like to give myself an opportunity to date and maybe find somebody while I was out here that had similar interests and see if that would happen essentially. But it's one of those trade-offs. And so if you are looking to you know, get in a relationship, you need some form of stability um, a little bit, even if you cross paths with people, because what you find is like people cross paths with people, but they know it's temporary. So it's like, it's just like a fling for that moment. But then you find people who meet each other abroad and then it becomes something. So it's possible. I've seen it. I've heard it happen. Didn't happen to me, but I've heard it happen to, to people that I've known. So dating abroad now as a queer woman, nah. I asked Francis to share some insights on finding queer-friendly travel and expat locations. The first thing I would Google, like some of the most queer-friendly places, Taiwan is super queer-friendly, like probably the most queerest-friendly place I've ever visited. And Thailand is super queer-friendly. So do a little bit of research of the countries that are queer-friendly that you would like to live in. You know, obviously Germany is one place and and start doing that research. You know, sometimes it's, it is a trade-off, right? I mean, Taiwan gets a little bit cold in the winter, so you may not have the luxuries of Thailand of being warm all year round. So figuring out what your lifestyle is and doing a little bit of research of where would be the some of the best places. There are queer travelers out there, so I would definitely, you know, hit them up, follow them on, on social media. And But there are some places you can you just can't do it, you know, like, some places in the Middle East, you just can't be holding hands like that. I remember when I was like potentially uh, going to get a job over there. And if you're like male, female, you can't live in the same home if you're not married. So these are the things, research the customs, uh, research the laws, and research what people are doing in those countries if they're living there and they're queer. And start asking questions and talking to people. Certain places you just can't do it. You can't. There is no utopia. It's all about the trade-offs. And what are you willing to trade trade over, you know, to live a life that's comfortable for you, live a life that feels safe. But just research, reach out to folks. Uh, There are plenty of places to go. Japan is a little, eh, but Tokyo is very diverse, you know. So maybe you don't go into the rural parts of the town, but maybe you go to a big city like Tokyo who they're accustomed to some of that stuff. Living abroad can be such an exhilarating and life-affirming experience, but something that I think a lot of people don't talk about too much is that emotional roller coaster that living abroad can really be. Everything from just being outside of your familiar environment, being away from your support network, and just having to deal with yourself in a way that you may have not been able to in the past. And so I asked Frances to talk a little bit about what she has discovered about herself and what she went through as she's lived abroad. I'm a formally trained therapist. And so, and I had to take a break because I just got burnt out by the system. And 
being abroad gave me the space. And that's what a lot of us lack. And I think that's what this quarantine is really showing us. It's this quarantine has, has given us an opportunity to have space. When you're living abroad, it's just you. There's no hiding from yourself. Everything comes to the surface. And when everything comes to the surface, you're challenged here to work through that process. And for a lot of people, you, can't, you, you just can't run away from yourself when you're abroad because there's so much silence. There's so much solitude. And so that gave me an opportunity to really go inwards and to sit with my emotions in ways that I've never sat before. And that was hard. It was very hard. There were lots of crying. But, you know, I before I had left, I was seeing a therapist that kind of helped me with that process. And then just meeting with the shamans and meditating and reading a lot of books. And also just returning to, because now I am full-time doing therapy and life coaching, I had to redefine what that meant for me. And it gave me the space to to redefine it in ways that honored uh, the space that I was in and the way that honored my values and do it in a way that was unconventional to what I learned and to what I was taught. So being abroad, it gives you the space to do that. And I feel like it, it sounds really dramatic, right? You're like, oh, I have to like leave this country to really get to know who I am. And that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is like, give yourself the opportunity to, to get out of your comfort zone and explore something that's totally different than what you would ever explore. So if, even if it means just moving from one state to the next, but getting out of your routine, getting off autopilot, those are things that now people are exploring at this point, right? Because we don't have that routine that we used to have. So now people are challenged here to recreate routines for themselves. They're challenged here to get to know themselves again. And being abroad allowed me to do that. It allowed me to get to know myself, the things I liked, things that I wanted for long-term purposes, short-term purposes. And also, I think the best thing about being abroad is it's taught me mindfulness, taught me to be more in the present and not get bogged down by like future. And also it slowed me down a lot. It really did. And I'm so grateful for that. So as Frances stated, she is a licensed therapist and she has been able to take her practice and really create a business for herself abroad. So I asked her to talk about her business, Defying Resistance, and to talk about what exactly is a Thera coach. It's funny, one of my clients, Nate, coined that name for me. I'm transitioning into life coaching, and mainly it's just like semantics, really, because being licensed as a therapist, they limit you to who you can serve. So from licensed in Massachusetts, I can only serve people in Massachusetts. But saying that I do coaching allows me to work with anybody from around the world. Uh, so that's why I call myself the Thera coach. And so... I have a blog called Define Resistance, and the whole point of that blog is to inspire people to really understand the resistance that's going on in their lives and to make sense of it so that they can live a life with meaning and purpose. And so my whole goal is really working with women to heal the conflict within, because what I've found is that a lot of people imagine themselves 10 steps ahead or doing all these things, but there's a disconnect, and most of that disconnect comes from not healing uh, old wounds healing some of the conflict that's within. Because once you do that, then the clarity opens up and the confidence is there. 
And then you're able to really see your future a lot clearer than you would ever have. But if we're still bogged down by like old wounds and old hurts from our childhood or from whatever relationships, we're just not going to move forward in the ways that we wish that we would. It's interesting. Most of my clients are not expats. I have a friend who I met in Chiang Mai who's also a therapist, and most of our clients are expats. And so from what I understand, a lot of it is loneliness, it's relationships. It's kind of like a lot of the same things that the average person may deal with, whether it's depression, anxiety, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's it's difficult because overseas, you know, the, the idea of mental health is different overseas as well. And that also makes it difficult for a lot of people. So it's like, what is the definition of mental health in, in this country and how do they navigate those things? But most of my uh, clients have been entrepreneurs, women wanting to build businesses or are in businesses for themselves, but finding that they're stagnant or they're stuck in limbo in, in some situation in their lives and wanting to clear that, get more clarity. And so that's how I help them. But I think for a lot of expats, it's connection, it's community, it's relationships, and it's loneliness. Because like I said, when you're overseas, a lot of stuff comes to the surface. And if you don't have those tools to deal with those things or have people who can understand and connect with you, it, it makes it very difficult. You know, we glorify traveling and everything else, but it is lonely. It can be very lonely <laughs> traveling. Uh, and so that loneliness can be very jarring for people because we're just not accustomed to really being by ourselves. Like we, you know, we, we sometimes take time for ourselves in the States and we are by ourselves, but we're truly not by ourselves. It's a different kind of loneliness um, that I can't explain. As y'all probably know, I'm a big, big believer in creating a business to go abroad and having your own business while you're abroad. But, you know, there are setbacks and there are ups and downs to everything. And so I asked Francis, a fellow business owner, to give some advice on creating a business abroad. It first comes down to mindset. You have to believe that it's possible that you can do this, that you can pivot. And also for me, it was all about lifestyle design. I first designed the lifestyle that I wanted and then I created a business around it. What happens is like we, we settle into these spaces that are totally out of alignment. And so my challenge is first, before even saying, I'm gonna do this externally, all this stuff, you gotta go internally first. What are your values, you know? what? If you didn't get paid for, what would you do? And you, you may hear that question a lot, but it's really true. Like, what could you do in your sleep? What are what are people saying that that you're really good at doing? And it's like listening to those things. And part of that is just just doing it and not thinking too hard about it. Done is better than perfect. Don't get caught up in all the tech stuff. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid, and find a connection, find someone who's already doing what you're doing and have a conversation with them. Um, but it's totally a mindset shift first and get, allow yourself to experiment with different things. I tried on different things. I thought I wanted to work with a certain customer profile and I realized that wasn't it over time, but I wouldn't have known that had I not experimented. And one of the things that I was doing during this quarantine was provide pro bono sessions. And by providing those pro bono sessions, it really got me clear of who were the people that I really wanted to work with. So you have to just take action. Don't get caught up in a pretty website. Don't get caught up in 
and like wanting assurances or anything like that, just keep it really low tech and basic and then start coming from that place. Because if people don't know what you're doing, then they can't find you. So one of the things I had to do, I shift my social media. I started showing up as the person that I said I wanted to be. And then what happens is people start seeing you as that person and they start going to you as the expert. So shifting your presence, your online presence, and start acting as if. So at the time of this recording, the George Floyd incident had just occurred. And obviously the feelings in the United States were intense and thick. And I think sometimes people believe that expats, people who live outside of their home country, are somewhat, I don't know, immune to things that happen inside their country. And that is not the truth. It isn't. What sometimes happened is, as an expat, we feel a very strange feeling of hopelessness, but also something that is like a guilt, traveler's guilt, survivor's guilt, something like that. So I talked to Francis about how I was feeling being so far away from what's happening in the U.S., and I asked her if she could just shed some light on what I was feeling and what I think a lot of us had been feeling. I mean, just like being back here and watching, you know, Black folks dying, you know, the the folks uh, abroad always want to have conversations about Trump, you know, that sort of thing. But yeah, it definitely has. It's it's one of those things. What do we call it? Traveler's guilt, right? And something that came up a lot for a lot of us because we would see how much people in the States are struggling and then we're over here. So there's a little bit of guilt around that. I was actually talking recently with a friend of mine about how we're both ready to go back uh, to overseas and knowing what we're leaving behind. Um, and it's very conflicting. But knowing that your peace of mind is priceless. I can't get bogged down by a lot of this anxiety and a lot of this stuff that's going on because then it doesn't allow me to serve the people that I want to serve. And so in what ways can you channel some of those energies so that you still feel like you're, you're giving back to your community and you're still supporting your community? But a lot of it, it definitely does. You know, I have a black son, so it's, it's, I'm over, you know, 20, 30 hour flight away. So thinking about those things definitely feels, feels heavy on you. It gets, it gets to you and it's not something that you can a hundred percent avoid. I believe at the end of the day, you have to take care of yourself first, no matter what. You have to be in the right state of mind, emotionally, physically, spiritually, before you can pour into anyone else. And I think that's part of the issue with a lot of us, right? We are so ready to support someone else when we're lacking in supporting ourselves. So that's the first thing. And, and feeling comfortable and okay with that. And knowing your limitations and knowing how to be comfortable setting boundaries and understand like a lot of this stuff is outside of my control, but what is in my control and what can I do? And, and figuring out what those two spaces are. The issues that we're struggling with are a lot bigger than us. It's stuff that's ingrained in, in systems that were created to prevent us from having access and we were talking yesterday about like, 
okay, so do we learn to use the master's tool so that we can infiltrate the system so that we can in return support our community? But then again, how exhausting is that? That's where all that tiredness and heaviness comes from navigating master's tools. So I think the first thing, of course, is to take care of yourself, only do what you can. And you made a decision and everybody has a choice. Everyone has a choice. It may be some choices might be easier for other folks and harder for other folks, but it's not impossible. It is not impossible. So for you making a decision to move abroad, to create a better life for yourself, you shouldn't feel guilty for that. You should not feel guilty. You're going to feel that guilt, but reconcile the fact that you had to make this decision to better yourself and your life. And so you can't control anybody else and what they're feeling what they're thinking and what they're doing or not doing. It's it's a challenge, but part of that is you letting that go and grieving part of that process. I remember just like sitting, you know, in the, in the islands and like, I'm chilling and <laughs> this feels good. But I know like there are people out there in the States that are struggling as well, but I can't help them out of that mentality. I can't, you know? So like I said before, Francis is one half of the incredible Chronicles Abroad podcast. And so I asked her to talk about what is Chronicles Abroad all about and how did it get started? Chronicles Abroad, the purpose of it is to inspire people to travel with passion and purpose. And so my co-host Nubia, who it's so crazy because like we both grew up in Boston but didn't know each other. Like she was a friend with one of my friends. And then she moved to Virginia. A few years later, I moved to Maryland. Still, again, our paths, we never crossed paths. And then it wasn't until like, I think a few months before I went overseas that we were at a, like a mutual friends gathering. Kind of met with her, exchanged numbers, but it never went anywhere. And so I, I ended up going abroad. And then she would reach out to me because she's an avid traveler. Like she's been to, I don't know how many countries, 40 plus countries. And so she reached out to me because she wanted to move abroad. And so that's how we started like engaging and having conversations. And then when she moved abroad, she ended up living in Thailand and we're just having conversations. She's like, girl, I'm getting all these questions from people who want to know how I did it and all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, me too. So we're like, and for both of us being two black women, we're both single moms. You know, when you type in abroad, living abroad, you don't see people like us. Really, I mean, now you really you start seeing more of it, but there was no space. There was no pre- again uh, representation of older women traveling. Number one, we're we're both in our uh, late thirties. She's you know in, in her forties as well. So where were these older women, single moms? Where are these unique stories of people traveling that look like us? And so we decided to create the platform. I was an avid podcast listener before uh, Nubia wasn't. I was like, let's just create a podcast. And we're like, okay. We sat on the idea for like six months. We're not going to lie. Analysis paralysis. And then finally we just did it. And now we're like heard in like, I don't know, 90 countries. We have like 150 plus episodes. So it's been amazing to really tell these stories of families, black families traveling abroad, single moms traveling abroad, people who are retired in their 50s plus traveling abroad. So it's just been great to bring these stories to light for people because now they like see representation and they know they're encouraged and inspired that they can do the same thing. And so that's what Chronicles Abroad is all about. Francis is also a co-host of 
Tapped podcast, which is therapists are people too. And so I asked her, how did Tap get started and what is the mission of this podcast? So Tapped is interesting. When I was in Thailand, my co-host, one of the co-hosts, it's three of us, Sabine, she's another social worker, another therapist. And I just got this idea. I was like, why don't we just create a podcast for therapists and healers? I don't I don't know exactly what it's about, but I just imagined us really showing that therapists are people too. Like we have our own limiting beliefs. We have our own struggles. And sometimes it, it gets hard. And it, there's no space where you can actually be real. And like you had mentioned, transparency and authenticity is is one of my values. It's like when you're transparent, people, that's how you build solid connections with others. And I don't believe in sugarcoating anything. And so it, we were a little nervous about putting it out because, you know, we're, you know, my, my friend works in the school system and there's things when you're licensed, there's certain things you can and cannot say. But we thought we were like, forget it, like, let's just do it. And so the whole premise is, tapped is showing that therapists are people too. It's also a space to provide support for therapists and healers who are doing the work. We talk a lot about issues that come up for people who are in this, these systems and navigating these systems, right? So we talk a lot about racism, being therapists in, in a mostly white institution. There's not a lot of us out there that are black and brown. Uh, we, we talk about how we navigate those spaces. We sometimes will talk about things that are happening in, in our current climate. So we, we recently recorded an episode about just how the world is on fire right now. So it's really an opportunity to provide support for other therapists and healers and to also say the things that aren't being said in a very provocative kind of way to encourage that authenticity and to encourage people to really live from their truths and to not be afraid of that. So I asked Frances specifically to talk about her insights she has gained from podcasting and what kind of advice she could give to any of you who's interested in starting your own podcast. One of the things is done is better than perfect. It does not need to be perfect. It does, unless you're in like a studio, the sound might be a little off. The goal is to get your content out there. The goal is like, to inspire people with your stories or whatever it is that you want to do. And podcasting to me is like, it's a selfish thing at first. Cause you're like, I just want to talk about these things and hopefully, you know, somebody, it resonates with people and that's okay. Like we sometimes are wondering, you know, is anyone going to listen to it? And it's really about you showing up for yourself first and then hoping that maybe whatever you say impacts other people. And then you just continue to show up. You don't, it does not need to be perfect. Keep it real simple. I mean, with these days, you can literally get on your phone and just do a memo and that could be your podcast. I mean, it does not have to be complicated. Just figure out what your message wants to be. Figure out, you know, how often you want to do it. I think the things that we got bogged down with, we got bogged down with like the technical stuff. We got bogged down with like, oh my God, will people actually want to hear it? Are people going to like it? Throw all that out the window. Because I believe like if you're already in the arena and you're you're kicking ass, that's all that matters. If, if the people who are the critics who are, are not in the arena, they don't have anything to say. So if they're not in the arena, you don't need to listen to them. And just focus on just creating content that means something to you. Because it, by osmosis, it's going to mean something to somebody else. I asked Frances where she saw herself in the foreseeable future. 
I don't know where I'm going to end up settling down. I actually just recently started dating somebody who's also an avid traveler. And so I think we're just going to, once the restrictions have been lifted a little bit, we're just going to like travel for a little while. But I know that wherever I'm going to settle down has to be a place that's warm and has to be a little more diverse. Asia is great, but I don't know if that's the place that I want to settle down as like long-term. I kind of want to be around my people to a certain degree. My people could be like Latin folks. It could be African folks. But I think I need a little bit more diversity moving forward. But who knows? It might all change. I don't know. So I have no idea where that's going to be. I always ask my guests about wellness. It is something that is so important and something that we as Black women just don't talk nearly enough our experiences and what what we need and what is wellness to us, which can mean so many different things and can and truly is supposed to be individualized to each one of us. And so I always ask my guests about what their personal definition of wellness is and how living abroad and traveling abroad has influenced that definition of wellness because I want to showcase to all of you that wellness can mean anything and be anything, and there's no doing wellness wrong. It's really about just getting comfortable with who we are and what we need, giving ourselves what we need, right? And with that, I asked Frances to tell me, what does wellness mean to her? One of the things that I learned living abroad is, I mean, just eating differently. I mean, the smaller portions in Asia, so I had to go accustomed to that. But the food was a lot more fresh. It was so fresh. I walked a lot more. Again, I slowed down. I developed meditation practice. So for me, wellness has everything to do with how you're feeding your body, the things you're you're consuming, both nutrition-wise and spiritually. And those places allowed me to, to experiment with a lot of those things. And also wellness for me is alignment. It's really getting clear about what my truths were and living in alignment. Because I think a lot of the things that we struggle with is because we're not living in alignment. The things that we value isn't being expressed in in our outer reality. And so I was able to get a lot of clarity in that. So, but I just, I ate better abroad. I ate better. I felt better. My skin was glowing. I mean, I'd come back and people would be like, wow, did you just get younger? You know, that sort of thing. You just don't have that kind of stress that you have in the States overseas. You just don't because they value different things. They value leisure time. They value family time. I remember spending time in Mexico City and in downtown Mexico City, they would shut down the streets for the entire weekend so that families can come out and just spend time with each other and they would always have something going on. So stuff like that, it's finding what you value and and making sure that you're living in, in, in that value. Because when those things are out of alignment, it causes a lot of more suffering. We hold stress in our bodies. It causes disease and all of those things. So for me, wellness is all about alignment, both mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so, so much, Francis. This has been such an incredibly insightful episode. So thank you so much for sharing. If you want to keep up with Francis, you can via social media. Instagram is where I like to play. 
Uh, I love Instagram. So it's just my name, Francis Lees. You can also find me on the blog, defyingresistance.com. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. And if you did, be sure to screenshot this episode and share it across all social media channels at Flourish4 and tag us and tell people why you enjoyed this episode. Also, be sure to be following Flourish in the Foreign on Instagram at Flourish Foreign because I go live. I do IG lives either by myself or with past podcast guests. And I would love to have you all in attendance. We have such an amazing time. And if you have missed any of the past IG lives, go ahead and check them out. They're all on the Flourish in the Foreign Instagram page. I recently spoke at the Awakened Light Workers Summit, and I spoke about moving overseas, living overseas, and creating the life of your dreams, really talking about something I've talked about on this podcast and definitely on IG Live, which is using living abroad as a fertile space to cultivate a life well-lived for you and how you can do so. So if you are interested in hearing my thoughts on living in alignment, living with a vision, and consciously creating your life abroad, definitely check out my talk at the Awakened Lightworkers Summit. The link is, of course, on the resource page and in the bios of all of the social media channels that Flourish in the Foreign has. Check it out and let me know what you think. And if you are interested in taking your talents and your expertise abroad, and if you want to leverage these talents and expertise into a viable and sustainable online business that will help you be professionally fulfilled, financially abundant, while you are pursuing a thriving life abroad, get at me. That is my expertise. I am a business strategist. I have been so for the past eight, nine years. And I work predominantly with Black women and women of color, helping them to either create businesses around their zone of genius or either to scale their businesses so that they can thrive abroad on their own terms. If that is something that is interesting to you, my calendar is still open for free chats. I give 15-minute free chats. But also check out my website, www.christinejobe.com. I have a signature 12-week sprint program It is intense and is not for the faint at heart. It is for people who are ready to make it happen. So if you're interested in how to create your business or launch a product or service that's going to help you scale your business so that you can go abroad on your terms, let's get to it. I don't want you guys to start the new year with like a hope and a dream. I want you to start the new year with a plan in a business. That's what I want. So check me out at www.christinejobe.com. And also for those of you that are thinking about starting a podcast or are already started a podcast, I highly recommend joining WOC Insiders Podcasting Membership. It is a membership that I am a member of and it has been super helpful just the resources and also the community to help focus the podcast and also to help increase the reach of the podcast. 
So if you're interested, please, please join the membership today because the membership is actually closing its doors on December 15th for about three to four months. So if you're trying to get in and you're trying to do new year, new me, you need to join the membership today because in the new year, it's not going to be available until about Q2. Something really interesting that's happening with the membership is that they have created three distinct tracks. So if you're a newbie, they have a track for you. If you've had your podcast, but you're interested in expanding your reach, they have a track for you. And if you've been in the game for a minute, they have an advanced track to help you leverage the podcast, monetize a podcast, flip the podcast into books and products and other cool things. Now, if that sounds interesting to you, join the WOC Podcasters Insiders membership today because, again, the doors are going to close and they're not going to open up until about Q2 of 2021. Of course, please use the Flourish in the Foreign affiliate link. It's at no extra cost to you, but it's another way to support this here podcast. You can find that link on the resource page of the podcast website. You can also find it in the link in the bio section across all social media channels. Click that link. It opens up to a nice web page of all the things I talk about with the podcast. It's an easy kind of go-to guide. You can find the link to the WOC Insiders Podcaster membership there. Click it and away we go. And I will see you inside the membership. I have some really interesting projects I'm developing for Flourish in the Foreign. So you definitely want to make sure that you are not only following the podcast on social media, but if you haven't joined the Flourish in the Foreign email newsletter, you should do that. I don't email super often because I really respect your inbox. And so I only email you guys when I think it's super necessary. Some really interesting things are happening for Flourish in the Foreign. Some things you'll definitely want to know about. And there's going to be some advantages for being on the email list. Because if you're on the email list, you're going to get first dibs. And... In the coming weeks, I'm going to tell you more and more about it. But let me tell you, you're going to want first dibs. What's happening is super exciting and super just incredible. So if you haven't joined the email list, go ahead and do that. I'm also going to be updating the resource page with a lot of interesting downloadables and stuff like that. So definitely keep your eyes on the website. All right. Thank you again to Zachary Higgs, who produced the music of this podcast. Zachary is an incredibly talented musician. And so if you're looking for music for any of your upcoming projects, he is definitely your guy. I'm going to put all of his information in the show notes. So hit him up. All right, that is it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. And if you did, please be sure to find a way to support this here podcast. I gave you six different ways to support this podcast. Please be sure to commit to at least one today. I appreciate y'all. All right, see you next week. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. One of the things that has always motivated me is that I do not want to live with regrets. I hear so many people tell me, oh, it's so great what you did. I wish I could have done it. Well, you didn't. 
and now here we are having this conversation. It's better to say that you did it. Maybe it didn't work out, but you tried. Maybe you did it for six months to a year. Six months to a year goes by in the blink of an eye. 